0: Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife.
1: Welcome, LilyPod listeners, to another episode of LilyPod and LilyTube. And today, we are really excited about our guest. Uh, Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife is an LDS Relationship and Sexuality Coach with a PhD in Counseling Psychology. Her teaching and coaching focus is on helping LDS individuals and couples achieve greater satisfaction and passion in their emotional and sexual relationships.
2: And I'm going to ask the first question, and this is a Halloween special. It's something that, that I've been thinking about for a long time, because Lillipod comes out every Tuesday morning, and it happens to be Halloween this year. And so the fear of intimacy is something I'm mm. wanting to talk about, and we're so grateful to have you here to talk about that. I believe the first time you were with us, we you gave mid-singles a lot of wisdom just a Mm. lot of wisdom for navigating single life. And today we're going to be talking to both single adults and later married couples about this um, fear of intimacy. And if you could Mm. maybe just define intimacy for us and how you know, how a person would know if they have that fear.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Why do we get so spooked (laughs) about intimacy? So, well, what intimacy is, Uh, I'll tell you what it is and what it isn't because we culturally sometimes make it something else. What it is, is the willingness to know another and be known by another. And how deeply you want to be known and know the other, the deeper the intimacy is. Um, What it isn't is validation. Like I think sometimes we think of intimacy as I show you my underbelly and you tell me how wonderful it is. And then I I see your underbelly and then I tell you how wonderful it is. And that we kind of link validation with that. And of course, when we get that, it's an amazing experience to feel like this is something I haven't shared much of and I want you to know it. And you find acknowledgement, acceptance, kindness, well, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to find. And and validation is a wonderful part of an intimate marriage. Um, but But actual intimacy is just the willingness to show who you are and to really know who the other is, even the invalidating parts of the other, the ways they're different than you think different than you believe different than you, you know, so it takes a lot of courage to be intimate. And all of us are at least somewhat afraid of intimacy because, you know, how much do we relish having our partner look at us and say, wow, that's a really unbecoming part of you. (laughs) We all have those parts, right? Or I really dislike that you think that. Um, You know, not many of us love that experience. And um, nor do we enjoy finding parts of our partner that don't validate the reality that we desire. So we're good as spouses or dating couples to collude in sometimes limiting how, much honesty there is in the partnership because intimacy is for the courageous.
2: So you first. could be courageous in a dating relationship and get val- mm. validation over and over and over. And mm. then you decide, do I want to be with this person who's invalidating me all the time? Right. Exactly. Or, so- or is it about the right amount? I want some honesty from this person and they also accept me.
1: Uh,
0: I'm not sure if I quite followed that question can you say it one more time so in in a dating relationship you, you can you say that one more time I'm not sure if I quite got what you were saying
2: well um what I mean is it's what it, when you were talking I was thinking about the yeah. dating process and how yeah. if you show up and you be brave and you ch- choose to share yourself with a person yeah sometimes they might show up in ways that are really hurtful
0: And sometimes they
2: will show up in those wonderful ways that are really validating. um, I think we all prefer to be with validating people.
0: Of course. Well, and I would say being very honest when you're dating is a very good time to be honest (laughs) because, (laughs) because you want to find out who is this person and who am I actually with? And, and are they going
2: to accept me and all my. Yeah.
0: And, and, and can we really accept who one another is like, are they going to accept me, but can I also accept them? I mean, Can I really know, you know, I remember asking sometimes people I was out on a date with one or two times, like, you know, just like straightforward, like how do you know, I was a little bit older, I was dating people that were older. And so I would say, you know, how, how do you make sense of you not being married this far along? And not because I was saying it was bad, I was in the same boat, but just like, how do you make sense of yourself in that? And I mean, I, I, so I think some people were like, you know, this is how I, this is me, this is who I am. And other people were really, didn't want to answer that because it was maybe they felt like it was something bad about themselves. So, you know, I just found it was a great time to not waste time. (laughs) Ask (laughs) the hard questions. (laughs) Ask real real questions, you know, who are you and what do you care about and so on. Um, So, yeah, but what often happens when we're falling in love is because we like that person so much and they like us, it's very easy to just kind of fall into a collusion of validation. And we're very flexible. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm a vegetarian, but I don't care. Let's get a burger. I don't care. You know, meaning and you kind of don't because it just feels so good to be with them that you're kind of you're not really thinking about is this a sustainable reality over years of time? This is more I just like you and I really don't mind. But then when we get married and the reality of the day to day, and you want to belong to your own values and desires and dreams and so on. Then a lot of times what happens is the invalidating parts come to the fore and they're disorienting and they're uncomfortable and they create conflict and and that's normal, but not comfortable. So, yeah. So I think it's good for married
2: couples to know that's coming
0: or that's right. Rather than to vilify it, like something's going terribly wrong as opposed to, well, this is just the process. I mean, you don't have to be cruel, of course, and you don't have to be contemptuous, but like that, if we're going to really work out a life together, it means we're going to confront the differences. And I would argue it's actually a lot harder to be honest now that you're married than it is when you're dating. Cause if you're dating and you're honest and you're like, okay, this is just not going to work. We're just like two completely different people. You just, okay. You lost one evening. Okay. (laughs) But, but, but if you have a life and a mortgage and children, well, it can be a lot more take a lot more courage to be in honest conversations and I don't mean sometimes people use honesty to be cruel or to basically say you know I'm just being honest we everything should go the way I want it to but but maybe a better way of saying it is to be honest enough to be collaborative like how do we work together given our differences in what we want sexually and what we want around parenting and what we want in terms of our life goals, how do we work with one another and be kind to each other while sorting out a way to be fair to both of us? And that that does take a lot more temperance and and clarity of mind than often we can sustain in those moments of conflict. You know, Jennifer, we had
1: we interviewed Dr. Greg Bear on this program once, I don't know, probably a year ago. And he talked about how the worst thing you can do when you're wearing a mask <laughs> dating is to succeed.
0: Because yeah. then you have
1: to continue being that false version of yourself. Oh, yeah. And he says okay. you can never really totally feel loved in that situation right. because you always kind of deep down know that they're in love with the mask you're wearing. Yeah. And and I can just say from us, we've told our own audience this many times, but on our first date, I told Kathy, now, if anything develops between us, it's going to take a little time. I was 48 years old at the time, but Mm -hmm. I said, it's going to take a little time because I just got laid off from my corporate job and divorced for the second time. And I'm couch surfing with my parents because I can't afford my life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, and things have changed dramatically financially and otherwise sure. since, since then. But the thing is, um, I told her that on the first date and she actually wrote me a message that was really beautiful. Mm. And the fact that she could accept me and give me a chance,
0: yes,
1: even though I was in a tough place in my life at the time. Um, yeah. That created a warmth and acceptance that I don't think I could ever have gotten if I sat there and sort of made things seem a lot better than they really were.
0: Oh, 100%. Well, and what what I would also say about that is that you started, how to say it, in a self-respecting way. So even though you were in a tough spot, your dignity was more important than lying to pretend you were someone else. Do you know what I'm saying? So not only did Kathy accept you, on some level, even though you didn't like it, you were accepting you enough to be honest about where you were. And right. so it's setting up a foundation of a kind of core honesty and a core acceptance that is critical as a beginning point.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, I tell mean, so couples or like potential couples all the time, you're, you marry a person, not a situation because situations yep. change. Absolutely, and that's I think what I saw beyond the situation was his
0: character,
1: yeah, right? and I mean I told him right. where I was headed and what I what my plans were and what I wanted to do not not to try to impress, but just to say this is kind of who I am. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and ultimately, it's you know we've gotten to those places that that, that you wanted I to get talked to. about, and I've been
2: yeah. in relationships without core honesty, that's and right. there is no way to have true intimacy there.
0: No. No, you're always anxious. If you are partnered with someone who will lie to you about important things, I mean, I, exactly. I think, Kathy, that's what you were tracking. Like, at least this person will be, even though it's just not the easiest place, he's not screwing with reality.
1: And it to took be us with two someone from there.
0: Yeah, exactly. But to be with someone who screws with reality, like, you will always be anxious, uncertain, afraid. You can't ease in, you can't create anything solid and meaningful because your house is built on sand.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking speaking of the Bible, um now I I've, I've often heard you talk about um intimacy in terms of being knowable. Yeah. And and you did today in this program and in fact, the biblical word for sex is no. For example, yeah. in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and so on. Now, when yeah. I was a kid growing up in the church, I thought that was sort of a polite way to avoid saying the word sex. Yeah, yeah. And I, But I think there is a deeper meaning in it. I've, yeah. And I've heard you talk about how some people with a high desire for sex are not really knowable during the sexual experience. And my question is, specifically related to sexual intimacy is how can a dating couple make themselves knowable and vulnerable to each other and yet they're still keeping back part of themselves in order to observe the law of chastity
0: Mm -hmm. well i would say you can't fully if you're you know choosing not to be sexual before marriage there is a certain amount of limit on how much you're going to fully know because you haven't known them fully yet. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um but maybe more important than how physical the relationship is how open the relationship is, how honest it is, how free flowing it is. Um that is is this someone that is honest with me, can talk knows their own mind well enough, knows their own vulnerabilities well enough knows where they can sometimes be a difficult person to be with and is addressing those things more important than knowing every data point because you're never going to know every data point. You know what I mean? It's like some people move in together because they want a trial run, but they don't actually know still what it's like to be married to that person and married under stress and married with children. And so there's always things we don't know. The question is, is this is the character here? Do we have the character to be collaborative with each other, to be honest with each other, to want to really create a sexually intimate relationship and be willing to do our part to create something that we both feel good about? That's the more important question. Because a lot of people I've worked with, they actually felt all kinds of sexual attraction and desire can barely get to the marriage altar and so on. And then they get to the marriage altar and they're like, eh. I'm not interested. So that is to say when the meaning changed their desire changed and they weren't trying to be manipulative it's it honestly shifted so it's not like what was happening in the premarital state is necessarily an indicator of how it would be in the postmarital state in the you know once married. So I think that what's a better telltale is how open and honest How, how willing is my partner and me to take responsibility for our negative impact? How do we handle ourselves under stress? How much ease is there in the physical engagement, right? I think this is really important. I remember my husband saying to me the first time he ever hugged me, I just kind of melted into his body. Mm. And he said it it was, it was remarkable to him. Like it was like a very different experience, but I also wasn't somebody who just went around melting into bodies. <laughs> I wasn't just a, you know, really? bluesy with melting. <laughs> Is that
2: what convinced you to marry him?
0: Well, no, this was just the beginning. I still like tortured him for a couple of years, but because <laughs> I was pretty afraid of getting married, so I took a while. But it took but you want to knew, be vulnerable and know. But I did feel and I was right about it that he was someone I could truly be open with. And so I knew he was trustworthy. I could feel it about him from the beginning. And because we hung out for several months before there was any physical engagement at all. So I know when I hugged him, I just felt the the comfort or the ease of being able to really kind of be with him. And that's continued to be true. Okay. And I think I kind of could map that right in the beginning, that there was an ease there with each other. Um, so, because I think there's some people that I've worked with and they're dating and there's just a lot of anxiety and frigidity and fear and so on. And, you know, a lot of people come by that, honestly, I, it's not, you know, they have anxieties about sex and maybe they've had some trauma, but you can get a feel even in the dating stage about kind of where your challenges may lie later on.
1: I want to ask you more about the the fear in just a second, but Mm. first... I'm, sen- I'm sensing, a in the way you're describing this, a subtle difference between sexual attraction, which I believe is important, and I think you believe it's important too, yeah. but I'm sensing a difference between that and sort of an emotional connection, and, yeah. a, and yeah. perhaps that emotional connection and the being noble to each other sustains that Physical connection, when maybe the sparks aren't flying as much, you hmm. know each other really well at some point. Yeah. yeah. Accurate. Maybe I'm just
0: thinking about the way you're asking it, but I'll say kind of what my thoughts are about. It. I think there are people when I was, you know, dating and so on that I found definitely attractive, you know, like they were physically attractive, but I knew I would never want to be open with them. Do you know what I mean? Like I would not want to melt. I wouldn't want to melt into their
1: body because
0: they were too into themselves. I didn't track Uh, them as somebody that would be very invested in another person. They were more invested in their own ego or whatever. So while they might be impressive or they might be, you know, conventionally attractive, that was different than that was somebody that I would want to really bring my heart to.
1: And I share the most private parts of myself. Yeah. The very different question or physically.
0: Yeah. A very different question. And I think, I think sometimes people who, you know, are attracted and marry somebody like that are sort of imagining, I will get a good life by hooking myself to that person who is impressive. You know, they'll make a lot of money or I'll look good on their side, but they aren't really anticipating, or maybe they're hoping for it, but they're not thinking about the reality of it. Is this somebody that could actually be truly invested in me, care about me? They don't even necessarily see themselves as being worthy of that. So they're just hoping for the next best thing, which is to just attach themselves to this other impressive or, you know, overtly impressive person.
1: Almost Um, looking for a business partner.
0: A little bit. You know, I want I want the validation that your presence in my life would provide. I want the income. I want the social status. I want whatever I will get by connecting myself to you, which is very different than I love you. I trust you. I value you. And I would argue those things are very, very important for having a long-term sexually intimate marriage.
1: I mean, it's those things that make you in the long-term want to touch and be touched. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Because a lot of people get married because the the person they're looking at has a kind of status or beauty or something that they want to be attached to. They want to get the status that they think that will provide them. But because if they're not really capable of love, right, then quickly resentment, the, the invalidation starts to come and the anger starts to come, the resentment starts to come. And so then this person that maybe other people think is great, you don't want to touch you. Because you resent that person. You don't like them and you don't feel that they like you. So very, very quickly, desire will plummet. You know, we have this idea that alpha males get all the women and so on. That's true in the first, like, you know, month.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but but the alpha males are not having good sex with their long-term partner. If if yeah. they're dominant and, and in a, unable to invest in a woman. And yeah. so it's yeah. like, who will really be my friend? have integrity about me the
2: fact that all of us fear intimacy and maybe for good reason maybe so Mm. that we can be selective so that we can recognize when it's not sustainable
0: yeah so there's two reasons to fear it one is this person will not handle who i actually am well yeah right they're not prepared to love another person or they're not prepared to love me. Like, even if I like them, they don't like me enough. And um, that it's not a wise place to really bring myself because they're either not interested in being invested in my life or they're incapable of it. Yeah. And so that's a that's a merited fear. What I would say is that's not. I don't know if fear is even the right word, but it's just good judgment. To it's out of your self-respect and your dignity to not reveal all of yourself to that person who isn't worthy of it. I'm not sure that's quite the right word, but no, that makes
2: sense. So what's the second,
0: but the second one though is fear of intimacy because you don't feel that you're enough. And therefore the only way you're going to get love is to mask or pretend. So there's a self disrespect in it. I don't trust That anybody with good judgment would or anybody that's paying attention would love me. Therefore, I've got to manipulate someone into loving me. And a lot of people do this because a lot of us don't yet have self-acceptance in our early 20s. And so we're thinking, you know in our LDS culture, a lot of times we're rushing into marriage because we're afraid if we give people too much time, they won't, they'll think other of it.
1: (laughs) Jennifer, I saw that a lot dating (laughs) in the 40s, to be honest. Yeah, sure. Well, and that might come from a validation from from a former marriage. Right, from a prior relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. I'm not sure how open I want to be with you right now because you might hurt me. Yeah, yeah. I might not be worthy of you know, your intention or.
0: And it sounds like those are two different fears. Those are two different things. So you might hurt me. You want to think about, am I in an overreaction? And it's not actually the person I'm with, or do I track something about this person that makes me think, even if I would like them to love me, I don't think that they either can or want to. And then it's good to hold your dignity and not, not invest more than is going to be reciprocated. But am i struggling to accept myself am i struggling you know being honest is often an act of self courage, i mean um of self respect to say i'm willing to show you who i am um i remember a brother saying to me like that he was so much in this state of like wondering if anybody would love him when he was in his early 20s but he said you know if i ever had to date again or something he said i think i'd really be much more in the kind of take it or leave it position <laughs> which is you know here i am and I'd rather live alone with my dignity than than you know try to to pretend my way into a marriage.
2: Right, yeah. because what we all really want is to be accepted. Even if there's invalidating dating yeah. parts of the relationship to sure. be sure. still accepted anyway? It That's is right. Pregnant.
0: That's right. And there's always going to be invalidating parts of any good marriage. That is to say places where you're different. There's always gaps mm-hmm.
1: in For any sure. intimate
0: marriage, right? But I think the question is The more a couple can sustain their dignity of themselves and the other, even in the face of those gaps, the happier that couple is. Yeah, feeling
1: of that feeling of innate worthiness, or something that I have something beautiful and wonderful to share with you, if you'll accept it, and I hope you'll offer me the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Now, I want to add a third fear that that I think people have, and I'm ask you about this. And I, I, I approach this with a certain amount of sensitivity because I don't want to offend anybody in our audience. But mm-hmm. if you go to the church's website and do a search for the word sex, mm-hmm. you will invariably come up with a whole long list of hits where you see sex paired with sin. And mm-hmm. the discussion of it in, in church talks and lessons and everything virtually always pairs it with sexual sin. And Mm -hmm. I think that creates a lot of fear about our sexuality. I I say parenthetically, we interviewed Sean Brotherson once, but he um, said he used to do an article in Meridian magazine every week. And I do that now, but he he used to write a column every week and every six months or so he would write about sexuality and Latter-day Saint marriages. And he said that he was always, um, um, he was always, baffled he, he would brace himself for six weeks of his email inbox being flooded with yeah. horror stories um about latter-day saint marriages anyway and the bedroom aspect of that yeah so you have talked a lot about how people believe their sexuality is satan's pathway and many come to it with a lot of dread yeah. so um and, and i think for a lot of middle-aged single people many of whom have been married before and had it not work out Um, there's an added component of, you know, that was probably a big part of what split. What went wrong. So how can singles who want to keep the law of chastity uh, do that and overcome the fear they may have that they're disappointing the Lord because they have sexual Mm. feelings. And, you know, you could answer that for married couples too, honestly.
0: Yeah. Well, so I think we would all do better if we'd live our actual theology, (laughs) as opposed to kind of how many of us uh, have talked about it. So I think when we're young in our development, and this includes many 80-year-olds, I mean, what I mean is many of us stay young in our development. We just have this idea that sex is pleasure, sexuality, the body, all work against spirituality. So we've kind of borrowed other Christian interpretations that the body is the problem and the body interferes with the spiritual where our theology is the body is actually necessary for the spiritual that it's not the
1: soul of man.
0: Exactly. And so it's not the body that interferes. It's ego, right? Mm -hmm. It's self-preoccupation. It's our own pride that interferes with goodness uh, and our development. So it isn't sexuality and it isn't the body. Now, of course, what we do with our sexuality matters, because is it reinforcing of the ego or is it reinforcing of our ability to love and be loved? Is it helping us to grow into more loving, wise, kind people, or are we using our sexuality to kind of, you know, keep ourselves limited and unable to be in meaningful relationship? So, um when we are so afraid of it, we will tend to go and reproduce that idea with our children. Like if we haven't worked out our relationship to sexuality, we're going to probably be giving lots of fear-based messages, probably the same ones we got. And so it's very easy to keep that going. Even though if we take a look at the consequences of that, it's not getting us where we want to go as people. You know, what we want is the ability, not just to get to the marriage altar, we want the ability to have really good, loving, sexual relationships in marriage. That's our goal. Not just not having sex before marriage.
2: Right. So Which is a big have... focus for young men and young women because yes. we want to keep them
0: right. we want to scare them
2: from using their ego to satisfy the validation yes. they want and right. not end up in the kind of relationships we want them to have. But then once right.
0: they get there, they don't know what to do. That's right. And fear is just not a great motivator. It's an intuitive motivator. It's what we will do when we are afraid, is we use fear to get other people to do what we want, but it's not a good motivator. Love is a much better motivator in terms of fostering us getting where we actually want. And so, you know, we can as a people value sexuality, actually see it as a beautiful, amazing reality, a gift from God, even. And that's why you want to be careful with it, because it matters what you choose. Yeah. And so, you know, talking to adolescents about what they ultimately want, which is a loving, intimate marriage down the road, is looking at porn going to get you farther or closer from to that goal, right? Is, you know, basically doing things that are indulgent and sort of self-focused going to help you be capable of that or not? So it's not a limiting out of rejection of sexuality. It's actually out of cherishing sexuality, and intimacy to manage yourself, to keep it special. And the very muscles that you need for managing yourself around that are muscles you need in marriage, because it's not a lot of times people have a, the idea. Okay. I got to the marriage altar. Now it's a free for all, right? Like, like just whatever I want, you have to do it. Cause you're my wife and that's your <laughs> divine calling. And, <laughs> and that doesn't go well. Like we still have to be bridled and yeah. Um, and by bridal, yeah. Yeah. And by bridal, I think of that as like you put on a, on a horse, it's this amazing energy, but for it to be good, you want that horse to go in a direction that's positive, not just be, or like a a fire. You don't want a fire to burn down the whole place. You want it to be contained in a way, not out of shame, but because now it's a good thing. So I'm not, I'm not trying to promote containment and guardedness in marriage in the, in the kind of fear-based way. I mean, that's a direction. Exactly. And that self-control is a fundamental part of it because you want to love and be loved with it. You want to create good with it. You want to nurture and something that's soul expanding to be created, not just, you know, not just pleasure for its own sake. And I have nothing against pleasure. I'm just saying that the meaning of what you're creating really, really matters. And so that takes self-regulation and takes self-awareness and the ability to control one's impulses around sexuality it's just an essential part of creating a meaningful relationship to sex and to another person
1: i mean if i don't bridle it to some extent and i go hit up every beautiful woman i see you know that where that might be interesting i lose the most wonderful woman i've ever known um and that doesn't serve me it certainly doesn't serve her right but I think you're right. It's The scripture talks about bridling our passions. When we bridle a horse, we are directing and controlling it. We're not shooting it in the head.
0: Right, exactly. That's what we tend to think that is. That you just like snuff it out. Like, no, you don't snuff out a horse. <laughs> you direct that passion. The passion is good. I mean, so how do you use it? That's the question. And I would also say like people that that run their life only by their kind of hedonistic drive are quickly running themselves into hell. It's not just that they ruin their relationships, which matters. It's not just they hurt other people, but they they interfere with their own ability to respect themselves and to have people that trust them, to have true friendships because they aren't yet capable of being trustworthy. And that's a big, big cost. That's a big price to pay. So learning self-control is the way to have a good life you know, in our lesser minds, we think of it as like, I don't want people to tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. And, and I understand that, especially if you come from a fear-based relationship to authority, that rebellious part of you that just wants to do what you want to do is going to be strong. But when you really think about it, the people that really claim a good life have internalized the ability to prioritize what matters most to them and what they want to create over what, is immediate and sort of reinforcing in the immediate sense.
1: Okay. Jim Rohn used to say, "You you can't avoid pain, but you have to choose between the pain of discipline and the pain of regret." Exactly, and I think that's and true. The pain in of the discipline is a million times better. Religion. Yes,
0: exactly. Well, or, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: I I just wanted to say that as I've been listening to Room for Two, and really a number of your podcasts, in addition to that you never seem to flinch or make immediate judgments. Even when you hear some things, that I think most of us would shudder at. And mm-hmm. I wonder how you do it. I mean, cause I, like, cause when mm-hmm. you're, you're saying, I recognize they're living hard lives. Like they're real yeah. choices that aren't good for them, but, but then you meet them where they are. Like in yeah. a really beautiful way. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah,
0: I do. I mean, I think, I don't know for sure. It takes a little bit to sort of articulate what feels pretty intuitive. But I think, I guess I tend to think of people, all of us, is in some ways we come by our blind spots, honestly. That is to say, we we have a history of biology or whatever that's allowed us to see the world in the limited way that we see it. And the person sitting in front of me is revealing their blind spots, as well as the pain that those blind spots are causing them so if i just want to judge them and condemn them i mean that just says something about me like something something of fearful in me or something that maybe i don't want to deal with that same part that's in me do you know what i'm saying like the, mm-hmm. if i'm in a reaction and i just want to condemn them there's something going on in me yeah. if however i can hold their dignity and my dignity part of it is, I don't know what I would be doing if I were in their shoes. I might be doing worse than they're doing. I mean, how do (laughs) I know? Right? Like, I mean, that, that they have walked a different path than me. So there's no point in condemning them. I just have to do my job, which is to care about that person as another child of God, another human being on the planet who is coming to me
2: for you and for them. I love. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then do my job, which is to do my best to offer to them what I can see that they can't see yet That's because right. that That's increases wonderful. their agency. Yeah. Yeah. It just increases their ability to choose better for themselves to the degree that they can see what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That's
1: honestly what I see in that podcast is you want to reach out and rip away mm-hmm. all of these things that are blocking their view. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, you don't do that in any sort of rough.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, it's just kind of very... piercing
0: through a little bit, like because a lot of times when we are in self, some version of self-deception, a mm. part of us knows. I mean, we don't really know it. that's why we're coming to get help. But some part of us knows that that we're not clear headed. And so it's I mean, often not exactly. that difficult to kind of pierce through all of the layers of self-justification and stories and so on and to kind of go get a hold of the thing because like their soul recognizes it when it's right. Yeah. Uh. You know, I'm not always right, but it's like when it is right, you can feel this kind of like awareness that that is something true. Even if my limbic brain is trying to make it not true or is afraid, there's something there I've got to deal with. And that's really what helps people. It really is because the truth sets us free. And the truth hurts and none of us enjoy it in that moment of kind of disorientation, but, but so you it does help have to be orient.
2: a bit invalidating.
0: Yes. I do.
2: While holding that, uh, that, that dignity for both. People yes. And exactly pierce through to truth.
0: Yes. And it could,
2: and, and have them still trust you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because you know what, why I think they trust if it, when they do is because they can feel, that I do care about them, yeah, and I trust them enough to handle what is true. Like I'm not patronizing them. Yeah, you know I'm no, actually holding their dignity by by being honest with them. And so it makes it's almost them... like you're just like okay, so this is what we're dealing with. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matter <laughs> of fact, yeah, yeah. It's just what I see, and I can hold your dignity, you know, while I'm telling you that, and I think they can feel it. And I think they can feel that they need it, you know, and I think that makes them trust you because, you know, I have people who've written me after the fact and said, you know, it's not easy to hear what you have to say, but I can feel that you really want to help. And so it makes handling what you say much easier and I respect you for it, you know? So I think that people want the truth often, you know, they're looking for that because they know it's, it's going to help them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the the last time we interviewed you, the metaphor we were using was a mirror, mm, and yeah. and that seems appropriate in this context too. Yeah. Like you're holding up the mirror, and you're not exactly saying to them, "Look how ugly you are," although yeah, yeah. you could see it that way. That's right. Uh, but it's like showing that mirror, and at first you don't want to look at it, and exactly, it, because it hurts. I mean, it does. If men come into me, I will show into them their weakness and and that's the hard thing you know if if i receive light and continue in god i get more light but that's going to show me more weaknesses and that's that's, right. that's hard that's right one, one other little point I, I don't want to lightly pass over that you mentioned a minute ago you said that that fear is not is not the right response that that love is always better it's a, and,
2: she was talking about motivation that love is right. a better motivator but love is
1: a better yeah. motivator
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i think I reached a point in my life where I, everything I had achieved, I became a lawyer and everything else because of fear, because I was anxious, right. because right. I feared disappointing my parents or failing tests or go down the list it's of exhausting. things. And and it's like, exhausting. I got to a point where I would rather be a bum on the streets than feel exactly. that kind of anxiety anymore. Exactly. And so I agree with you. I don't think that kind of motivation sustains you in the long term. You eventually wear yeah. out. And yes. the, the scriptures are replete with that perfect love casteth out fear mm-hmm. for right. the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power of love and of, the, of a sound mind. And
2: I think that's why I guess. felt the truth of that statement. And I wrote it down because I, yeah. it made sense to my spirit too.
0: Yeah. And yes. you're
1: saying the way you're treating your clients is the same way. Give yes. them love, help them feel safe, help right. them be open and help them see better. Right.
0: Exactly. It's exactly right. And loving doesn't mean only positive statements or positive feelings, right? It's the truth. You know, if it's a child, it may mean holding limits that they don't like, right? But you're doing it because you are doing what is needed for the child. You're doing what will facilitate the growth of the other person. You're doing it because you want them to thrive, so, you're willing to do things that maybe they don't necessarily like or doesn't feel good, but it's ultimately going to help them be free. And so that's what love is, and that's all and even you know, you know, some of my own kids have said to me, like I kn- I how to say it like they knew when I was parenting them as an adolescent that I was actually did love them, even if I was getting things wrong in their opinion, they could feel that it was really my effort to do what was best for them. And that was significant, even if it was misguided or off that I really desire to do right by you. Kids feel it or, or your partner feels it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: We're going to ask our last question um, more along like the single realm, and then we're going to dive into some questions for, for married couples
1: or, mm -hmm. you know, people who anticipate getting remarried. Mm -hmm. So, So this one has always stumped me a little bit, but I I have heard a lot of, I think last time we talked to you, I mentioned that I I was amazed when I was dating in the mid-singles community, how quickly the subject of sex would come up most of the time. Yeah. But I have also heard this countervailing point from a lot of people in the mid-singles community about when is the appropriate time to discuss sex and implied in this question is almost like that to talk about it is to do it. Um, that that mm-hmm. it's almost in an inappropriate subject without knowing someone really well first. And like I said, my experience is that it comes up pretty quickly, But but mm-hmm. I didn't sense when women would ask me about my experience with that in marriage it, that there was some sort of testing of the water that they were trying to see how far I might be persuaded to go or anything like that. I didn't mm-hmm. really sense that it was, mm-hmm. it was a certain amount of fear about repeating the same patterns of yeah, a for sure. relationship. Like have imagine. you ever been into porn would be a very typical. Sure.
2: Well, and they're trying not to waste time that. by being. Yes.
1: Up. And yeah, there, a surprising number of women would say, you know, my former husband wouldn't seem to never want sex. You know, is that a problem for you? Blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, and But I, I know there is a certain segment of the mid-singles community that is uncomfortable having the topic come up early. Mm. And for some, it seems like sex has a special status among other subjects of conversation mm. where we're a little hesitant to talk about it, even in the abstract. And And I've heard some people even say that they resist the idea of talking about sex until they're engaged or until they're at least Mm -hmm. exclusive with someone and, and, uh, and seriously considering marriage. So I think that raises a kind of Mm -hmm. paradox. I mean, sex is a, how we approach sex in a marriage can be a deal breaker for a lot of people. I mean, even for me, it certainly was. Um, but, uh, so we want to discuss it to know if this relationship is worth investing more time in. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, some are reluctant to discuss it and almost feel like it's sinful to discuss it mm-hmm. um, because it's a sensitive topic with more. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think especially women will get really sensitive to men bringing it up too soon.
0: Yeah, so, sure. I mean, some will. Yeah. yeah. Cause they can imagine maybe what the reluctance is, is, you know, are you just, so obsessed with sex that you don't want to get to know me first you just want to make sure this is all going to go well for you meaning i can imagine why somebody might be resistant to really early conversations about it because it it feels kind of like this is more tactical than it is about just who are we as is anything else important yeah Yeah, exactly that kind of question by and large
1: from women that would bring it up that it was tactical or was, yeah,
2: it, it, uh, but I've heard quite a few women say that if
0: men are it can, up, then that's how they, they can it. feel that, that way. Uh, I mean, I don't think it should be a taboo topic by any stretch. And I don't I mean, just generally speaking, I would say I don't, I don't think you need to be engaged before you would be having any conversation about sexuality. But I would go back in some ways to the point to the question of how free-flowing is it to be able to talk to this person you know
1: Mm. what
0: was difficult about your first marriage i mean i don't think that has to be a question in the second date necessarily but but fairly soon into a courtship that would be important information like how do you make sense of the divorce and were there things that were painful to you about your marriage and what do you think was your role in the marriage's demise and what do you think was your partner's I would be interested in all those questions, not because I'm trying to pry into a previous relationship so much as who are you? How do you handle difficult things? Right. What was the sexuality like for you? You know, what do you want to have be different? I mean, I would care about how my partner thought about those things, because it would tell me a lot about their maturity If you're like, oh, it was all her fault. She was the loser. You know, I would be like, I'd be suspicious.
1: (laughs) 100%. (laughs) And I want to go
2: back to one of the most poignant um, things you mentioned in, and I believe it's uh, episode 24 of LilyPod, if anybody Mm. wants to go back Mm. and listen. And it was wonderful. And we kind of addressed all different things, but I love that you said the number one quality to look for in a person is someone who is self-reflective, someone who knows their own mind, someone who knows how to
0: make changes when needed, like, cause yeah, that's yeah. someone you can grow with. That's someone you can actually exactly. collaborate with. That's right. Yeah. You need a growth mechanism in your marriage if it's going to be healthy 20 years in. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that ability to be self-aware and to be honest with yourself and to take feedback and consider it honestly, you're not going to do well
1: right
0: it's just not it just won't happen because that's what marriage requires is the flexibility and the honesty to keep recreating something honest and meaningful for two people so it's that, like it's like yeah it's like trying to drive a car without a motor I mean you know I actually really love
2: what you said about keep recreating because that's one thing that we believe is that there are too many people and I think it's portrayed so much in the media in um even fairy tales that mm-hmm. you you fall in love and then
0: maybe you fall. lock it in love, and yeah, you yeah. can't help it and right it's not something you choose. exactly like it happens to you yeah yeah mm-hmm. it happens
2: to you exactly and so when you're saying we need a growth mechanism because we have to keep recreating that's very yeah. intentional that's yeah. not falling in prey to circumstance no
0: that's right that's right
1: i, I think one of the hardest things about what you're talking about is um, if I describe, if I think about this in terms of like my own marriage, when Kathy brings something up to me, even if she's really gentle about it, that Mm. I kind of deep down know it already.
0: Oh yeah, sure. And It's like don't say it if you love me. Stop talking. (laughs) My my to See it right now.
1: Well, and and you know you've got something that going on like that with yourself, and it you maybe had this since you were a kid. You know, like I I know for example, I'll admit it in front of the whole world right here. My worst fault is that I'm kind of overly sensitive sometimes, and I take offense when somebody doesn't mean it. Mm -hmm. And okay, so I know that's true of me, Mm -hmm. but if. If she brings up something about me that I'm already a little sensitive about, I might be inclined to get defensive and rational. No, Mm -hmm. I'm not like that. Here's, and maybe even point the finger. Well, this is fine coming from you when yeah,
0: yeah, right.
1: (laughs) Um, And so always
0: helps, always makes things better when you do that. I I think
1: it, it does. It does take a highly evolved person to. To be able to receive that feedback and think, okay, let me be honest with myself for a minute. Mm-hmm. What was my role in that conversation that went south or that's right, whatever? And and that's hard. I mean, Jesus Christ said in John 3 that men love darkness rather than light because their yeah. deeds were evil.
0: Yeah.
1: Where are they hiding from in the darkness? I They can't hide from God. And I don't think they really are hiding from other people. We're hiding from ourselves.
0: Right. That's we're hard. trying to. Yeah.
1: And so but I think if you can do that, if you can confront that, if you can look in that mirror without life gets so much
0: easier. That's the thing is we get lulled to talk about productive discomfort versus unproductive discomfort. Going back to the quote earlier was, you know, we think we're going to trick ourselves and our partner and God and whatever and just like pretend that. And if you really love me, you would pretend with me that that doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) right. That's really what we want to pull off. Now, now a spouse can be aggressive about something that they know is a vulnerability. Okay. Of course, that's, that's a little different meaning. But what it is, is we make our ego more important than what's true. And it's like, okay, I'm doing the thing she's bringing up is actually hurting her. It's like limiting her happiness. And I'm going to turn this into my ego right now. Like, how good is that? So I don't mean we're cruel to ourselves, but we're pushing ourselves to not let our ego, because remember, ego is natural man. Ego is the enemy to God, (laughs) Yeah. right? It's not sex at what, what I'm going to make my pride more important than the impact of my behavior. If I love my wife or my husband, you know, whoever we're talking about here, then I need to just deal with what they're saying. Apologize for it. Acknowledge it. I'm sorry. I realize I do that. That's like, I'm not going to make my feelings the primary issue right now because that's interfering with creating a trustworthy marriage. Mm -hmm. So it's a courageous act. It's even heroic on some level because we we can just feel so justified in defending ourselves, the worst in ourselves. But the happy people you know, I just finished teaching the Strengthening Your Relationship course. And the thesis I was saying to the group is, the thesis of the class is like, basically how you handle not getting what you want determines the marriage. Like some fantasy that you marry the right person and you're going to get everything you want. Like that is a fantasy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's
0: one that should have died with the fairy tales. Okay. Because it's not true how you handle yourself when your partner sees something about you that you don't want them to see, or when they think something you don't want them to think, how you handle that invalidation is gonna determine whether or not this is an evolving friendship, whether or not this is a trustworthy friendship. So it's really looking at ourselves in the face of invalidation that's a big deal.
2: Well, and this leads us into the questions for couples. Uh, I really, really quickly want to just summarize, I think the answer to when to bring up the topics of sex, it seems like you want to balance between not ever having it be taboo, but not ever having it be the only thing or like treating a person like this is the most important thing and there's nothing else to discuss. Yeah, Um, exactly. Being a whole person, discovering your ability to have growth mechanism. Exactly.
0: And, and not to mention that if you're so obsessed with sex that you're bringing it up on the second date and you even get an answer that seems satisfactory to you, your disposition Mm -hmm. around sex may actually be the thing that ruins it in marriage. Not whether or not she or he could respond on a second date. Does that make sense? So it's like, right. How, how even your
2: disposition about sex while you're dating might make it so that you can't, get married to a person who wants a healthy right, that
0: that's, right. Healthy. that's right that's right that's yeah. right so a lot of times we're like how am I going to decode if this person's going to give me what I want versus who am I around this
2: so in other words and- it's important to overcome the fear of intimacy that's not helpful the kind that am I you know am I invalidating and disrespecting myself in in what I think I have to offer
0: Yeah or am I basically relating to a person more like, a self object, mm-hmm. somebody that's supposed to give me the sex I want. And that's actually the thing that's ruining my ability to have a good sexual relationship mm, much more point. than when we have a conversation. So I have nothing against conversations. Mm-hmm. I just want people to look more at who they actually are. Yeah, That's the more important thing in your ability. And who am I dating? What am I tracking? Exactly. In? Who am I and who is this person? Yes. Yeah. If, that's if I awesome. can
1: throw out one hot tip to the guys too. If you send a girl a message on Facebook or where dating site, whatever, don't start off with you're so hot. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I got compl- I get heard. heard complaints from women all the time about guys doing that. They come up with something overtly sexual the very first time they even approach a conversation. I've never met a woman who doesn't like being told she's beautiful as long as that's not right. the only thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure many women don't mind being told that they're hot, but I do not want to date you <laughs> <laughs> because that's what you value at such an extreme degree that, that that's right. where you're starting this conversation as opposed to who are you as a person. Right, it just right. To so the I think
2: you're is. saying uh, indicate what you value by what, what you bring up when. And
1: yeah,
2: mm, for sure. That. Okay, for sure. so here's the, the, cu- the questions for couples. So many singles... And also later married couples, they have experienced arguments, hostility mm. in a former spouse, um, maybe former former marriages that um, specifically related to sexual intimacy. Mm. Um, so whether it be arguments or hostility or just problems in the bedroom, um, if you have a significant he- hesitancy about opening yourself up and being knowable in new relationships, how do you advise? that singles and you, you said it sometimes it's harder for even married couples. How do have mm-hmm. later married couples face that issue together? Like what, what do you recommend?
0: Well, I, I think it's more a relationship with yourself that you have to get worked out. Like, and, and maybe you need a therapist or a coach or somebody to help you think through it, but like, why, maybe. where do I not accept myself to be open when I deem it a good idea to be open? that, that I can feel too much shame or too much self rejection to really be honest about who I actually am. Okay. So, so why am I struggling to be at peace within myself with who I am? Because that's a fundamental relationship to be getting worked out. If you're going to be at peace with anybody else ever.
2: Oh, I love that. That is so poignant. Um, because, and that really goes for both married couples, and those yes. who are single, yes, because that peace in ourselves is what's going to lead to more intimacy because definitely, the fear that's unmerited, the fear, the fear that's not wise is the fear that I am not showing up or I'm not showing up in my strength. I'm not feeling that I have anything to offer here.
0: Right. And no, no partner's going to, going to solve that for you. And if you think that's fundamentally true, you aren't actually interested in an intimate relationship. And so you're never going to have one
2: because you're going so, for the validation, not yeah,
0: and You're enough. wanting the, to extract love and extract approval, but you're never going to believe it even if you get it because you think they don't actually know who I am. And so until you're willing to let someone in on who you are, you're not going to be capable of or desire an, a truly intimate partnership. And so it will cause you pain. Okay. I, I, I appreciate that.
1: Can I I say one thing on that though? I, I I agree with everything you just said with this caveat. I think when you're dating, when you're out there in the dating world, you're uniquely vulnerable to rejection. You, you get, um, yes, however person for a date, you're risking, but this is
0: what I would say. It has to be a pretty good person to be better than no person at all in your life. (laughs) So what I mean is, you're vulnerable to rejection, right? But if somebody can't handle who you are, why would you want to be with them anyway? Do you see what I mean? So it's a very good time to get rejected <laughs> because it, it's that is to say, if who I am, I remember a guy that just pro, seemed interested in me and I just kind of felt like he's projecting onto me. He doesn't really know me and he wants a certain kind of wife. And I don't think I'm that person. And so I just began to be more honest with him about who I was and what I thought and soon enough he wasn't interested. And and that was good. <laughs> I mean why why would I why would I ever want to marry someone that didn't fundamentally love me? So I actually think that's way easier to have somebody reject you on the 5th date than 100%. 10 years into marriage. I so, think your statement
2: is very wise, but it required a degree of self-knowing in you and accepting yourself and um, that self-acceptance and that peace. You can tell yeah. me work that out because yeah. how how do you respond to rejection from other people at other times? Right.
0: And I, I, I agree with that. I mean, it wasn't fully worked out. In fact, in on some level, I thought I may lose a good person because I haven't gotten this piece worked out yet, but I don't want to be with some, he should know who I am. He should know how I feel What because your he deserves are. the information. And I deserve to know if he would love me in the face of that information. So it's, it's not that I was like fully at peace. It's that I still valued myself enough to be honest. And that does take some courage, but. It's I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're going to depend on how other people feel about you to manage your sense of self, you are vulnerable, married or not.
1: I I didn't take a tally, but listening to you on Room for Two, I was surprised by the number of couples who admitted talking to you that they had lied to each other about various things. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right, which created all kinds of resentments later on because, right. wait, did you trick me into this marriage?
1: And I didn't never know he did porn until after we'd been married yeah. for five years. Exactly, you know, or exactly. exactly. And exactly. I mean, there were things like that both ways, as I recall, but-
0: I think that happens a lot. But
1: That happens a lot. And <laughs> yep. I will tell you, I think dating was easier for me in my 40s than in my 20s. And the only thing I can put that down to is I was more comfortable in my own skin. Yes, and, I mean, in my 20s, if a girl turned me down, I couldn't do anything but stare at the wall for three hours. You know, I was so embarrassed. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it was ever fun to have someone say no or that it didn't feel a little bit invalidating. But exactly, I think if you have a strong enough core, you'll have the courage that you're talking about and you get over it pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. And it's just essential. If you want a good marriage, you got to do that. It's just like a (laughs) non-negotiable. Yeah. because again, you have to work out your relationship to yourself or you have to at least be fair to yourself. Even if you don't like what you're revealing, it gives you a chance. Right. Um, Yeah. I, I, one of my favorite movies is about a boy and he's basically somebody Me who too. just deceives everybody. And then he has this shift and he's like, it would be better to lose this person, but be honest with her, you know? And I mean, it's not like a straightforward thing. It doesn't just all come together, but that becomes the foundation of his own dignity and a real relationship. Yeah. I just think it's a critical piece.
2: I think what you said is, is we're all vulnerable to rejection, married or not. Yeah. If we use others to manage ourselves, sense of self. Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. To feeling terrible because we're just putting the locus of control outside of ourselves. Yeah. And we need to be clean within ourselves.
2: And that's one of the greatest gifts of being single for a time. Um, yeah exactly really work that out
0: i agree with that i really do that was
1: would it surprise yeah. you that i can't say for certainty everyone but almost every woman i dated and got to know very well in my mid-single years the sexual relationship had something to do with the divorce
0: yeah no i'm sure that's true
1: i mean yeah. people don't say it out loud in public they don't get up and well i would yes yeah. right about it,
0: it no, absolutely. And I, I would say sexual relationships often reveal the relationship. They are like a, Dr. Schnarch would say they're a microcosm of the larger relationship. And our our ability to be knowable is often showing up very much around sex. And it's not just because, oh, there was all these repressed women and, and therefore the sex was bad. I mean, that certainly can be a factor. But a lot of times there's a lot of Men that are very anxious about sex too, even if they're the higher desire person, and so it creates this kind of—it's a tough place to pretend sex.
1: I need this so, from you. Well, if you need it, I can't give it to you.
0: Yeah, exactly. I want exactly. to be chosen, not needed. That's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, it's a—it is a—it is an important workspace in a couple. The sexual relationship—it's an important. Uh, relationship to be worked out, but um, it's often revealing the larger picture. And I think a lot of my responses are today have been about, yes, the sex matters, but you can see what's going on in the larger relationship around the freedom to be yourself, the freedom to be honest, that all really matters.
2: Okay. Um. So another one of my questions was um for for later married couples who fear another divorce um who how would you recommend they co-create a new marriage that so will stay on the test of time rather than falling victim to problems they experienced before
0: well you want to look at your the common denominator in the two marriages which is who you were who you yeah. are and how did you participate in the failure of the other marriage even if it was just putting up with abuse you know what i'm saying so there but there's still a role was it that I was blind to or wanted to believe the person that wasn't in fact trustworthy? How did I get myself into that marriage? So The point isn't to blame. The point is to see yourself and what can I learn from it? Because you want to make sure you use it to learn from it. So you don't just go and repeat it and have this, you know, have to learn the hard way again. Um, so that's the biggest thing I would say is what can, this thing has been very painful, painful to lose a marriage, but at least I can make it more worthy by extracting all of the truth out of it that I can. Yeah. Extracting truth. I like
2: that.
1: You talked about how Dr. Schnarch says that marriage is a, or that, sorry, the sexual relationship is a microcosm of the marriage, which I think uh, Mm -hmm. is often true where I might take issue with it is someone has sexual abuse in their past or mm-hmm. they got raped at some point mm-hmm. or they experienced a really abusive relationship mm-hmm. and maybe they're living that relationship in a relationship mm-hmm. that didn't have much to do yes. with creating that problem. What yeah. would you advise people in that situation? Well, I
0: think that's a fair point that if somebody has acute trauma, acute sexual trauma, it's, and I want to sort of emphasize acute sexual trauma because if it's a, it's a acute trauma, they're going to have PTSD and a kind of reactivity around sex Right. that is kind of unrelated to the way that they have learned to be in relationship to others. So that is to say, if somebody has really good, open-hearted, loving relationships and then, then they are raped, right? They're going to have acute trauma around sexuality, but they also have a larger experience of expecting love and care. What often happens is people that have come out of sexual trauma often have come out of also difficult relationships. Do you see what I mean? So it's not just like, say somebody had a relative who violated them. Well, it's not just that they had a relative, which is bad enough. It's oftentimes the fact that the parents weren't paying attention, that the parents weren't didn't believe them when they tried to tell, you know, that there was enough neglect going on in the home, that they were vulnerable. And of course, this isn't always the case. I'm just saying that there's often a larger context as well. In addition to the sexual trauma that just makes like that person think the last thing I want to do is take my clothes off and trust somebody never. Right. And so it's kind of bigger, you know, there are the acute situations of course, but there can often be many meanings that are layered into that trauma that go beyond this, the sexual trauma itself that can make it a big challenge. Um, but, but yeah, that's just kind and of, they the may engage
1: down. in sex, but not be knowable. That's exactly not right. Not open, that's not free with it. Yes. Like very guarded. Yes. You're not yes. going to touch Lots, me in certain you know, exactly. People and... can have
0: sex and not open their hearts at all. Yeah. And, so, and they might even like sex, but not open their hearts. And so that's a very, you know, that's still a way of saying that's how one's in the marriage is I'm going to be very careful about how much I let anybody in.
2: Okay. So we thought it would be good to end this interview with um, some really good motivation for overcoming Mm -hmm. fear that isn't serving us. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of beginning with the end in mind and doing personal work necessary to achieve true intimacy um, and to get that, those common roadblocks of fear out of our way. Um, Mm -hmm. So our last question is for those who do the work to overcome their fear of intimacy, what do you, what do they have to look forward to in their personal lives and potentially Mm. in a connected, collaborative, intimate marriage?
0: Well, I would say what you have to look forward to is more peace with yourself. So I think any good therapy, um, any good friendship, any good relationship is fostering your honesty with yourself in it, that you can dare to show who you really are, not because you're going to like everything you see, but in, and not to just get someone to tell you it's all okay. It's to know your own mind and to address things you don't respect in yourself and to not be a house divided internally, right? To have more integrity within your own soul. Because when you have that, You're less needy for approval. It doesn't mean that you don't enjoy approval and like it when someone tells you how wonderful you are, but you don't need it to sustain your sense of being. You're not a a bottomless pit. Exactly, exactly. And you can kind of hold your dignity, and you can look in the mirror and say, like, you know, I, I like me. I'm okay, you know, and feel a genuine peace with yourself, not because you're perfect or flawless, but because you can accept your humanity and accept that you're a work in progress and let somebody in on that imperfect process just as you let them be imperfect and knowable to you too well that's just like the only way to live i don't yeah you know if you don't have a that marriage between
2: two hu- imperfect
0: humans that accept each other and are, exactly and are genuinely honest then you can like lie next to each other and actually be at ease mm. and Well, you- and accept themselves first I think that's That's right. It's just really fundamental because, you know, I, I didn't get married till I was almost 30. I had therapy in my you know mid twenties. That was very helpful to me. I think I just kind of knew I'd rather be single than marry somebody that wouldn't or couldn't know and accept me. It just wasn't worth it to me. Why would I do that to myself? And so, but I think that when I was in my early twenties, Thank goodness, I didn't get married then because I think I was much more like hoping somebody would just tell me I was enough and make me feel good. Uh, that was more what I maybe thought was the goal, but I think towards the end of my 20s, I thought, no, it's just somebody that I can really know and be known by, somebody I can really be myself with, and have that kind of a friendship in life is just such a gift to oneself and to the other. Oh,
2: I love that, yeah. It never
1: situation. blows so cold again,
0: yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So Before we sign out, is there anything else you'd like to say on the subject of overcoming the fear of intimacy?
0: Well, I would just say daring, to be honest, takes a tremendous amount of courage, right? Because we're basically saying bye-bye validation, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it's the beginning of something solid in yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it does take courage, but it is the path into a true self-confidence.
2: Yeah. I, I love that.
0: And thank you so much for being on our show today and talking
2: about overcoming the fear of intimacy. It's um it's a great episode. It was such a good
1: um conversation. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. We appreciate your wisdom and your friendship and yeah um and just everything that you brought to the table today. It's really a rare privilege. So
2: remember, thank you.
1: Anytime is a great time yeah. for more love in your life. Thank you for watching and listening.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.